Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to our podcast and hello to my fabulous co-host, Wendy Christie. Wendy, how is your week going? Yeah, it's going really well, apart from the rain. Um, It was nice to be out in the weekend doing a bit of gardening, a very little bit of gardening and a bit of supervision. How are things with you? Well, it was nice. I got to see some of our lovely team last week in an office and then we sat and then we had food together and it it was just wonderful. So yeah, we're starting to see that lockdown starting to, to ease up now. Yes. Now, today we are joined by another Tamara. Tamara Strauss is the Global Customer Director for Premier Inn, a much-loved hotel brand. And Tamara has worked with some great brands in her time, including Intercontinental, Royal Caribbean and Hilton. There's definitely a travel theme here, and we want to hear how you got to where you are now. But Tamara, I'm going to ask you to start at the beginning, if you don't mind, because I understand your teachers were less than complimentary about you when you were at school. So shall we start there? Uh, yeah. So when I uh, I started at my school at the tender age of four, I was the youngest in my year and uh, being an August baby. So I was definitely way at the back of the, uh, the queue there. And uh, they pulled my parents to one side very early on and said, we're not sure she's really going to be very academic and don't raise your expectations. You'd be lucky if she maybe became a hairdresser. Um, and that was my introduction to my uh, my school years. Thankfully, I wasn't aware of it. I was completely oblivious of it. But I had uh, an amazing great aunt and she picked up and just said, never judge a child that early. And uh, she really encouraged my parents to do everything to encourage me, to get me extra tuition and uh, to inspire me to to live my dreams and do what I wanted to do. So uh, there's always one person that's rallying you behind for you and it would be my great aunt and uh, I know that while she's not here today I think she'd be incredibly proud of what I'm doing and where I've gone and uh, she's uh, she's seen part of that journey so I'm glad to say she encouraged my parents to encourage me to do what I wanted to do. Oh thank god for her. Yeah no she was a pretty formidable lady who was in education and uh, yeah I think she always kind of wanted to support the underdog in some ways so uh yeah, she inspired me to get on through my school years and university and just keep focusing what I was doing. And so moving on to, to school and university and then sort of the, the early start of your career, can you talk a little bit more about the journey that you've been through and sort of bringing us up to date to where we are now? Yeah, no, absolutely. So maybe uh, I'll, I'll kind of um, start by saying when I was at school and they did ask me what I wanted to do, I, I told them I wanted to be a washing up lady. Um, and clearly that kind of put me into the idea of the hospitality industry from very early on. Um, little did I know where I'd end up. So after school, I went to university and I did a degree in food marketing. So slightly unusual course choice. It was part of an agriculture department at Newcastle Uni. And uh, I was surrounded by young farmers and 
a world that I knew absolutely nothing about. But what I did want was to go and work for a supermarket and start developing new food products and this idea of new product development. So I did the course. I did all right. I mean, it was uh, quite incredible that I actually made it given my early start. And when I left uni, I was offered a job to go to Tesco on their graduate training program. But a friend turned around and said to me, look, why don't we defer and go traveling for a year? And I think it was that one conversation I had with my friend, which pretty much changed the course of my career. So um, we packed our bags and we left just shortly after graduating and we spent 16 months traveling around the world doing all sorts of crazy activities, uh, working on farms, in kind of trade shows, living the dream really in Asia and seeing the South Pacific Islands. And it was the most incredible time traveling. Um, and when I came back, I'd missed the graduate program for that year. So I deferred and uh, and said I'd reapply the next year. And I moved myself to London and started temping. I tried a few days in the city thinking, well, maybe I'll earn my fortune working in the city. Absolutely hated it, realised I wasn't cut out for, for the city life and ended up taking a secretarial job working for the marketing director of Forte Hotels. And I think it's thanks to her that I um, started my career in the travel industry. She realised that I was probably a really bad secretary, but I had ambitions in the world of marketing <laughs> and uh, very quickly uh, gave me my first uh, marketing exec job. And I ended up at Forte Hotels for a number of years, which really got me into a lot of the hospitality industry and I never looked back into the food industry. That was really what launched me in, uh, and became quite an important milestone for me in going, actually, I can be really, truly passionate about travel, hospitality, leisure. And it helps me get up every morning being able to know that I'm selling or marketing a product that I can really love and associate with. So, yeah, that's how I ended up in hospitality. It's funny, actually, just sort of picking up on the, the secretarial back background as well, because I know that one of my first jobs was publishing secretary. And, and I, I always sort of say that at university, the best thing I did after that was teach myself to type. So I think those skills really set you up for any yeah. kind of corporate job in the future, actually, just having that experience so early. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just wasn't very good at it. I think I, uh, you know, we weren't really using email at that time and we were still kind of doing things on carbon copy. So it's a bit mad when you think about it now that none of us had email addresses. You know, it was only very senior people that got an email address and you had to be quite special to get an email. So yeah. um, either that ages me or um, it kind of talks about the progress in technology. I'm going with pioneer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pioneer and, and technology. I remember my maths teacher trying to break the news to my dad that I wasn't going to do very well at maths. And, and he said, oh, well, don't worry, as long as she can type. And um, <laughs> obviously I agreed with my maths teacher when she called him a male chauvinist pig, but actually it has served me quite well. And I was desperate to be a hairdresser when I was a kid as well. So um, I'm sure you could have done a lot worse, even if, if that's where you did land. Um, I want to go back to, to that time you were talking about when you were little. And I like to think about how, how we were as kids influences where we ended up today. So what were you like as a kid? I was probably a bit of a good girl. Um, I, uh, I wasn't particularly in trouble, but I was a bit of a tomboy. So I would always be found in the back garden playing football with all the boys on the road. And yeah, I, 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 I was a bit lazy. I was quite happy to be watching TV and... Uh, spending all my pocket money I can never save and things like that so um yeah I, I wasn't particularly entrepreneurial or anything like that and uh 
I was happy for opportunities to come my way rather than go out and grab them, it's fair to say. (laughs) And have you had a worse job? I mean, you don't need to name names, but if you have had a worse job, can you tell us about that? Yeah, when I came back from uh, my backpacking and I was, uh, I I guess I was so excited by the year that I'd had, but I realised that I needed to make a bit of money. So uh, my parents fixed me up with uh, someone they knew who uh, was recruiting for a job selling double glazed windows in um, a very deprived part of Nottingham in the uh, in one of the local supermarkets in, a, in an estate. And I had to stand at the end of the checkout counters and try and sell people double glazing. I didn't even last the day. I basically called mum, come pick me up. And I said, basically, I haven't come back from traveling to do this. So either I find something else or I'm back off traveling. So I thankfully found another job to keep me busy, but it was probably the worst day of my life from a work point of view. I hated every single moment of it. Was that picking up the phone and selling it on the phone, did you say? or, or No, going up it was person? literally people coming through, the um, checking out at the end of the supermarket, uh, cash till and trying to sell them um, double glazing on their way out the door. Oh, that is hard. I mean, yeah. I don't know anyone that could just sort of, you know, go up to people and try and sell just like that. But uh, No, it was, um, it was a particularly low point. Yeah. <laughs> Things only improved from there. Is there any advice that you'd like to give to your teenage self now? Um, I think to try a bit harder um, because I wasn't particularly into education and I guess, you know, people didn't necessarily believe in me. I think I needed to build my own confidence in myself and, and trust myself. But I think also maybe to push for more vocational areas of education, which I think would have suited me. Um, you know, I, I didn't like physics or I didn't like history. And so I found them particularly hard. But if I had been able to do more creative elements, I think I could have pushed for that. And maybe the school wasn't right for me. So maybe it should be up to me as well to say to my parents that I needed a, a different school environment. So, um, yeah, I think it was um, more vocational would have probably suited me at that point in time. Right. What impact do you think that traveling has had on the decisions that you've made? You know, has it given you a different perspective and has it helped you on deciding on your next moves? Um, I I think it's always reassured me about what I genuinely love doing. And I think, as I said before, you know, it's easy to get up and do a job if you believe in it or you believe in the product. And from a marketing point of view, I think you have to have that kind of belief in what you're doing. So every single time, you know, we all love to travel. Everyone's going to say it's like one of their passion points. And I feel genuinely lucky to be able to spend my career promoting something that not only I love, but other people love and what a lot of people spend their whole working life working towards. So, you know, we're about to come out of lockdown. What's the first thing that people want to do? They want to escape. They want that escape from the every single day. And where I work in that sector and I'm helping to realise people's dreams to a degree, it's really exciting because I know that, it's different for every single person. For somebody, it's going to be an exotic escape. For other people, it's a trip to the um, British seaside. And so every job has been able to provide me with that sense of excitement because it's not just about what I love, but it's about what we all enjoy. So it's one of those true passion points in life. And it makes my my working life really interesting that I'm able to help fulfil people's dreams. Absolutely. That's amazing. You mentioned earlier on in the podcast, you talked about your great aunt who it sounded like you know she was pretty life-changing are there amazing people that you've worked with over the years who've had a similar impact 
Yeah, and I, I kind of spent a bit of time reflecting on this because I think very often we talk about the people who are our superiors that have um, a big impact on us. Mm-hmm. But actually, it's about some of the people that I've brought into businesses that have had probably more of an impact on me in the way that I have grown um, in my in my career. Many years ago, I was doing graduate placement within my team. And instead of going through the normal route of going through a university, I was contacted by someone in our call centre to say, would you take a chance on me? Um, so with that, the same opportunities, but it was more of a, a wild card choice to take this person mm. on. And we did. And I think I learned so much from taking him on and giving someone an opportunity that may not have got that opportunity, but his courage to come forward and say to me, take me as the wild card, um, taught me a lot. And then I've also had people who have given me quite blunt feedback along the way. Um, right. And I think I've taken more growth in that blunt feedback than I've got from anybody kind of feeding down to me. And this idea of reverse mentoring, that when somebody tells you a truth that really kind of hurts to a degree, I think you get a lot of growth and you you kind of have to stop. You have to take a breath, draw insight from what they're saying, not react, kind of be the bigger person and then almost move on from it and get out of the, the actual physical room where that conversation is happening and really think about how you react, how you kind of prove to be that you're a bigger person to a degree, but how you then take that feedback and grow from there. Um, and so I think I've had probably more feedback from that point of view than my superiors feeding down to me. And I think they've shaped the the way that I lead, the way that hopefully I want to be perceived by others, but how I want to um, hopefully inspire and help others through mentoring and helping people along the way. And I feel that I'm on that kind of journey now to, to put more time back into um, helping people develop their careers. So yeah, it, it's the people I've brought on board that have been probably more influential to me than anything. Fantastic. Just thinking back, I keep saying tomorrow and then it sounds a bit weird, but I, I, know, get over weird. This. <laughs> I don't know if I've been in a room with two Tamaras before. <laughs> so Tamara, <laughs> spanning your career, because you have worked with some incredible brands and, you know, really, as you say, sort of real sort of passion brands, what would you say you've been most proud of so far? I, th- I think one of the moments that really stands out for me was um, I was working for All Caribbean Cruises at a time that we were trying to grow market share to a much younger audience and change people's perception of cruise. You know, it's we kind of joke in the industry, it's for the, the well-fed, the newlyweds and the nearly dead. So it's like it's got quite clear segments that has it's always been associated to. And for me, it was about going out to broader audiences. And we had the opportunity that I, we do a lot of the shipbuilding in Europe in a place called Saint-Nazaire. And uh, while I was in role, we were building the world's largest cruise ship that was going to come out of the port in Saint-Nazaire come up to Southampton and then we would do the big arrival and, and the start of uh, the launch activity around that. And I think I was truly lucky to be able to lead that piece of work. We'd just done a big piece of brand repositioning all about the cruise being where extraordinary happens and the fact that you know you go onto these mega ships and they've got 20 restaurants, they've got um, amusement parks, they've got kind of um, entertainment, which is better than West End standards because of the fact that it's brand new built theatres aqua theatres at the back of the road, a slide which is um, a 10-storey drop. Wow. Um, I mean, there was some crazy stuff on board this ship. And I got to do the uh, the launch of it, not only in the UK to our trade partners, but also consumers. And then we repeated a couple of weeks 
later um, out in Barcelona, which was the next part of the ship's journey. So, you know, this is a ship with over 2,700 cabins, five and a half thousand passengers on board, as well as all the teams. So, I mean, quite an incredible ship and organising an event for that number of people and the media was a truly exciting thing. And doing that while I was in early stages of pregnancy, not able to tell anybody that I was feeling as sick as anything, was probably not only kind of a, a career moment, but also a personal moment that really made me think you know this girl can and she can really get on and Mm -hmm. do it and uh nobody ever knows what's going on behind the surface but um hopefully we we smashed it from a a business point of view we filled the ship the whole season um they were sailing in europe but we also got incredible um media coverage we were all over all the news outlets the day of launch with a ship coming in with all the the fanfare that goes around it but also Kind of the internal engagement that we got was was quite incredible. So yeah, it was a it was a big moment for me. That's incredible. I can only imagine the adrenaline that was kind of coursing you through your veins, and and you know, as you said, being uh, in early stages of pregnancy, probably trying to just sort of control all of those 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 adrenaline surges. That must be quite tricky. Oh yeah, spending a few days stuck in your cabin, feeling as sick as anything out at sea, and seeing land in the distance was not a pleasant experience. But you couldn't tell anyone you were you were no. really sick. Because then people might thought that there was a virus on board the ship and I couldn't actually say I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh my God, the pressure. Key question, did you get to eat at all of the restaurants? Uh, yeah, over the course of time, we, we pretty much kind of got to try everything. So, you know, there were some pretty wacky gastronomic restaurants on board. And uh, yeah, we did a lot of hosting on media. So some nights we literally had to have two or three meals with different media um, contacts and different outlets. So from the moment we got on board the ship to do these events... Every minute of our day was was filled with activity, filming, engagement, kind of talking to trade partners and everything. So quite quite an intense schedule, as well as partying into the night until two, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I can't quite get the Vicar of Dibley uh, scene now when she has like three different Christmas dinners in one day out of my head now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was something like that. Um now, I know that you started your role at Premier Inn just before the pandemic struck in in you know March 2020 and lockdown started. So that's an interesting time to start a, a new role and, and such a challenging time for your industry. How did you tackle that as a leader? So, yeah, I started in November just for uh, kind of COVID hit. I remember uh, we were just about to um, launch some brand activity in uh, March uh, 2020 and uh, a few weeks before I was talking to people going I've got a bad feeling about going out with this brand activity because I've got a feeling that the world's got something big coming you know we were listening to what was going on in China but not sure whether it was coming but what's been interesting for me is that I have learned the business as it is today not what it was and I think that's quite important for what I do from a customer experience point of view and a customer perspective so I've had to learn how to change the whole of our way of operating, the way of engaging with our customers, communicating with our customers. And I think from a leadership point of view, it's been about literally getting my hands dirty. Most of our team were on furlough from March last year um, over the first lockdown. I I continued to work with a, a very small part of my team where we had to go through a process of understanding regulations, understanding what we need to do from screens, from protocols in hotels, how we were going to communicate to customers. 
So a lot of us spent early days of lockdown literally building new designs of screens to put into restaurants, reception areas, signage, wayfaring as you go through the hotel, reassuring people, um, working with government bodies about how we were going to keep hotels open to support our key workers. I mean, we had we had insane days where we were having to close our hotels. And bear in mind, we've got over 800 hotels in the UK and we closed over 750 of them. When we had to do that, we didn't have keys for the front door because our doors are open 24 wow. seven. So, you know, we had operational teams going, well, we don't know where the key is or we don't know how to close the door um, and we need to secure the building. So it was, you know, some early days of um, really basic fundamental changes that we had to go through, but also how we thought about, you know, not just locking down our hotels, but starting from the day we locked down to how do we get ready to, to open them back up? So um, I've had to hopefully lead from the front in being very involved. I get involved still twice a week on COVID response calls, and that's how we start our business back up, uh, what contingencies we're doing, how we manage our customers. We have refunded most of our customers who throughout the whole journey and gained huge amount of brand engagement because as soon as um, regulations have changed, and bear in mind we're, we're, we're dealing with different rules in um, our devolved nations, as soon as a, a, one of the nations has put restrictions on travel, we've implemented a no quibble refund to our customers so they can come online, they can get a refund. Um, and we really took a, a lead from an industry point of view in doing that. So that's where, you know, we've done service emails every week to our customers, telling them about what they can do, what they're eligible for, and um, giving them the power to be able to make the changes and get a refund, which we hope will will give us a good standing from a brand point of view as we come out of this. And so far, the, the position is very positive. You're obviously a very resilient leader and, and used to, I suppose, dealing in that kind of crisis uh, situation. But how else would you describe your your leadership style and, and has anyone else influenced it along the way? I'd like to think it's quite human. I, I always like to connect with the team and understand what's behind them. You know, they're not just their job. We, we're humans behind our jobs and almost that's the big bit. So I always put their lives ahead of anything else. And I think that's never been true in this last year and how people have had to cope with furlough and um, being away from the business and the uncertainty that's gone with that. Reaching out, you know, this year I've a number of times written to members of my teams at an individual level and I've got 45 people who are part of my wider team, but I've taken the time to literally write them either a thank you card or a Christmas email or a, by the way, just a hello. You know, I've I've truly tried to make sure I've connected with, with each and every one of them. And even more so because of that, I haven't met some of them. You know, yeah. it's insane. I've not met lots of my team. So I think um, kind of being human has been quite important to me, but also trying to set clear visions. And I think, you know, again, because we can't all be together, I've always tried to make sure we've got a clear plan in what we're doing and that everyone can see what the North Star is and how we're moving forward. So hopefully engaging people along the way and, and kind of getting them to buy into a vision. But every day just being available, you know, kind of, I love being on Teams and just the fact people can ping me a message and I'll respond to them. And I'm I'm talking to everybody in the team. There's no hierarchy. Um, it's very much about being in with them. And, you know, I, I've got no, no position of seniority that if it means to like getting involved and being on the shop floor and doing my bit, I've got no issue with doing that. I'm really happy to roll my sleeves up and just get on with it. Yeah, very hands-on and very present. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to who's influenced me, 
my parents, you know, they they ran their own business. They've been very entrepreneurial. And, you know, there are many nights as a kid that we would be there folding envelopes and cutting samples and doing things like that. So I think it's been quite interesting kind of um, learning from them along the way. Yeah, I think it's so important, those early influences from from your parents. And I think being surrounded by that sort of work ethic as well, I can see how that's influenced you. Yeah, and I think it was, you know, so important that I've learned from them about the value of hard work and achieving, you know, nothing was given without us, sorry, us being my brother and myself that, you know, they taught us the value of money and, uh, and working to to get what we wanted. And so I think that's been really important through my career that, you, you know, you muck in, you do what you need to do, you get the job done. And if it means you going the extra mile, you go the extra mile. That's just part and parcel of what we do. My uh, my mother was um, very entrepreneurial, running her own business as well as, and my dad was a, a sort of corporate man. But uh, funny enough, they used to sell sweets to the four of us through like a little um, like hatch in the kitchen and sort of say it was like a, a tuck shop at home and we actually had to pay for it with our own pocket money. So essentially they were getting the money back. I thought it was genius. My genius. Dad. I might have to take that idea and use it on my four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I remember from, from my dad was pretty on, uh, entrepreneurial as well, ran his own business. And his thing was that every time he went on a business trip, he bought us back an orange. <laughs> All I can think of, he, he must have stopped at the local co-op on the way home or something. It was just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Better for your teeth, right? <laughs> uh, Tamara, you have mentioned about your human approach, but you've also talked about premiering and how you need to have that genuine human connection with your your customers as well. So how are you focusing on that personal touch for your guests? Yeah, so Premier Inn, um, I mean, as I say, I started back in November 2019 and I was genuinely excited about this role because it's such a, a populist brand in the UK. People love us for, for who we are. We're democratic. We're for everybody. And I think there's there's something brilliant. But we're also proud to be budget. And, and we're not going to, you know, we don't have aspirations about uh, becoming a full five-star hotel. We're, we're, we're doing the basics brilliantly and consistently. And I think it, that's kind of key to, to the brand and um, what we're doing today. And how we connect with our customers, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a white van man, an entrepreneur, a family going off on a hotel to stay in a five star hotel, you're going to get the same experience, no matter who you are. And I think for me, it's really about how we recognize individuals journey. We provide those moments, those wow moments as you come in. So, you know, if you tell reception or we're here for someone's birthday, you'll get what we call a PI wow, you know, they'll try and do something to, to create a special experience. But people have genuinely grown to love the brand and we've seen it through lockdown. You know, people have been creating the Premier Inn at their home by creating their own bedrooms for the kids because the kids have so missed their their experiences that they've created bedrooms with branding, with a purple throw on the bed, with the breakfast the next morning and being on it all over social. So we're clearly doing something right with our customers today and people keep coming back and we, you know we keep growing we keep expanding in the UK and now into Germany we've got 20 hotels in Germany and we're, we're growing even more out there but there's still more that we can do to, to make sure we get into personalization to make sure that we are looking at each point in the customer journey to, to keep enhancing what we're doing and how we can bring technology in to liberate that experience but not take away the human contact so we're really trying to think hard about 
how we move forward with technology, but we never take away what makes our brand so important, which is our people and the experience you get when you actually meet our teams. Um, and, you know, they they kind of come in and go, hey, welcome to Premier Inn. You know, it's that 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 personal interaction you get with our team members, which is so important. So tech's really important, but let's not forget that, you know, we're a, a people business. And we need to be delivering it, whether it's checking in, whether it's seeing the housekeeping team, whether it's kind of tucking into your or you can eat breakfast. Um, there are some key hero moments for our brand, but not, never more so than the bed and giving people an amazing night's sleep and making sure that the bed's always the hero of what we do. And, and we become renowned for our bed that people always talk about, you know, the great night's sleep you get at a premiere in. And it, it's almost like a guarantee that you're going to get and people just keep coming back because we're reliable and consistent. Is it true that you can buy Premier Inn mattresses? Yes, you can. You can buy mattress, the bed base, you can now buy pillows and also duvets and uh, and shortly you'll be able to also get the uh, the mattress protector but yeah no we we sell them and uh, over lockdown people have invested more so in their bed because they realize the importance of um, a great night's sleep so you know really think about the tips about how you can disconnect between working at home and getting that sleep and the space and the environment you need. So we, we always want to be experts in the world of sleep and making sure that you can power down at the end of the day and then get set up for, for the day ahead. So yeah, absolutely. You can definitely buy our beds. Fantastic. I remember reading uh, Jen Brister's book, uh, The The Other Mother, and she talks about how she was uh, as a, a comedian and raising uh, twins that she would be able to escape when she was doing it on comedy nights and she would sleep at a premiere inn and get an amazing night's sleep so <laughs> yeah and that was almost the start of our advertising with um Selene Henry that you know that he would be on tour and uh and literally you know going from gig to gig he'd always get a great night's sleep at a premiere inn and you know he's still there he still stays with us and uh and genuinely loves the bed. Fantastic. And so any kind of inside scoops? Any What, what are you working on at the moment that's really exciting you? Uh, well, last week we had our, our, our big reveal. So we've been working behind the scenes through lockdown, not just kind of getting our hotels ready for opening, but working on a new brand positioning. So we launched um, about 10 days ago, Premier Inn Rest Easy. And that's been quite a big piece of work to doing a TV campaign, a fully integrated campaign across all media channels. But it's really also making sure that we tap into our teams as they come back to work and come off furlough and we restart our hotels. We've got that big momentum. So it's about rest easy, not just about sleep, but it's also the financial considerations that, you know, we're a great price. We've got all these flexible rates. It's about resting easy, that you're making a great choice. We've got cleanliness and hygiene at the start of what we do. So we've been working really hard on that. So that's uh, really exciting. But, you know, my job also straddles the brand side of things as well as product development so all the design of our rooms our mattresses all of that sits under me so you know we're, we're working way in the background on some quite big initiatives to make sure that people always get great night's sleep with us so you know testing beds and things like that that's part of my job these days fantastic now in this part of the podcast we get a bit more personal so we've got a few quick fire questions for you if that's okay and we'll start with what's your guilty pleasure uh, it, it's a really hard one to answer, but at the moment I, I'm going to put it into the here and now. Um, so being a, a single working mum, I feel guilty for this, but um, I take great pleasure is 
on Saturday morning when my daughter wakes up early, I literally hand her the iPad, the headphones, and I go back to sleep. And I feel incredibly guilty as a mum doing that. But oh my God, that extra hour of sleep that I get, I get joy from it. She gets joy from it. But I do feel guilty at the end of the the day because I think, well, I should be getting up and doing stuff with her. But I need my sleep. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange one, but it's a, a guilty pleasure for me at the moment. I think you can be forgiven that one. I think, you know, you're a better rested mother surely means better mother. Yeah. So that sounds like the start of your ideal weekend. What do you like to do with the rest of your weekend? It's a bit hard when you work in a in a hospitality industry that going away and staying in hotels very often feels like a bit of a busman's holiday mm-hmm. that, you know, you can't you can't relax to a degree because you're always looking at either if it's in one of my hotels, I'm looking at is it up to brand standards and is it the mm-hmm. right experience or people know who I am and therefore I'm on show and therefore I can't relax. If I'm in an, a competitor hotel or another hotel, then I'm always looking for ideas. So you never quite relax. So um, if I can, I'd rather be in, um, a, we've got a family home in Switzerland and I'd rather be in the mountains away from it all, not in a hotel, just getting fresh air, walking, swimming in lakes and just being mm. the great outdoors and away from technology and pollution and all those things. So um, it's a bit of escapism for me. Do you have any productivity hacks or routines that help you keep stay on top of everything? Uh, I, I probably should do more when it comes to tech and so forth, but I'm going from a, for a more manual option and um, that's either delegate do it in a genuine way that almost by me delegating is giving people sometimes opportunities they don't normally have. So delegating to bring my team up and kind of put them outside of their comfort zone. And then also thinking about making sure I've got help and never being too shy to ask for help. I normally have an au pair. This year has been a bit of a bit of a, a challenge in getting au pairs and uh, getting support. So um, I've just had to pull on people wherever I can. And they're not proper hacks, but it's just kind of being pragmatic um, and trying to think best uh, how best to do things. So yeah, not major technical hacks or anything, but just being smart with what I'm doing and uh, how I go about doing it. Get the crew around you. Sorted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it takes a, a village to raise a child, isn't that what they say? Quite. And what's one of the most adventurous things that you've ever done? So for many years, I uh, I kind of wanted to do something big for one of my big birthdays. So uh, when I turned 30, I um, I walked up Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. I, I, I thought long and hard about what I wanted to do and give myself a challenge. And I wanted a challenge where I couldn't, I couldn't bypass it in any way. So I looked at all the different peaks in the world. I figured out Everest was too technical and therefore probably wouldn't be able to do it. And I wouldn't be able to get that long off work to be able to do it. Actually, Pitchy, you could get a train up there. So therefore, there was always going to be a, a way of bypassing it. But I figured out Kilimanjaro, there's only one way you're going to get to the top. And that was my own uh, kind of sweat and kind of determination. And so I did it. I uh, I did it with a friend and her husband. And I almost don't remember the last bit because I think the, the atmosphere there is, um, you know, kind of... <laughs> it affects your brain in the way that you think and like your your mental um well-being kind of is uh, at the at the mercy of the elements and i literally remember walking up going just remember one foot in front of the other one foot in front of the other and i probably did that for about an hour and a half in the final ascent but that feeling of exhilaration of being above the clouds and looking out over and over africa was just um amazing but i know that the only thing that got me there was my own determination and so, yeah, it was a, a kind of a personal challenge to to get there. And I, I thought it was a 
brilliant. Fantastic. Amazing. I can't even imagine doing it. How was the walk down? It was long. <laughs> I mean, it took us four <laughs> days, five days to get up and then you come down in one day. So you have this one incredibly long day where you start at midnight and you finish about four o'clock in the afternoon. You've literally spent the whole day walking. So um, I just remember getting back to base camp and grabbing a beer and literally sitting in the shower and just drinking a beer <laughs> in the shower because it was just a moment of euphoria that I'd made it. But um, yeah, it's hard work. Yep. If we could gift you an extra hour every day, what would you do with it? I mean, I think we're all under pressure and everything. So I'd probably really dedicate a bit more time to me. Um, I don't Mm. think I'd do as much for me and the things that I would like to do because I feel that I'm either a slave to the laptop or, or parental responsibilities. So I'd like to I'd like to do more for others and almost use my time to help others. So I think my mum does a lot for charity um, and I don't think I've done enough along the way. I think I'm very privileged in how I've been brought up and uh, what I've got around me. And there are so many people who don't have as much. So what more can I do and what would I dedicate in from a time point of view to, to others? So I'd use the time to do that. And now almost the challenge for me is to carve out the time to do it because I'm, yeah. I'm not going to get an extra hour. So how do I find the time to do that and, and do more for others? How do you think your friends would describe you? They're always going to be cliche words that you use, I think. But, you know, loyal, they're in a crisis and always ready to cater. So um, whatever the situation, I will kind of leap into action and uh, never leave anybody hungry. So um, I think it's uh, it's been instilled in me by my mum and my grandma. And uh, in case of um, celebration, crisis or um, just needing to get together, I'll always end up being the one that either hosts, cater or um or kind of rally around to to make things happen so um i think people always have me as uh, almost the feeder um amongst us perfect friend <laughs> yeah hopefully they like it what would you say is still on your bucket list i think it's the it's not one particular thing i think having a young child it's challenging myself to do things that i think as you grow older you get a bit too sensible and you think oh i'm not sure about doing that so as my daughter tries new things, I want to try them with her. So I've said to her, when you choose an instrument, I'll try it with you. If you want to learn to skateboard, I'll try and skateboard. So it's almost challenging myself back and going, why wouldn't I? If the only thing that's stopping me is myself and my fear of you know, either hurting myself or kind of looking foolish or something like that. So I'm my my almost my bucket list thing is to throw myself in and do things with her so that we kind of get those experiences together and never be afraid to to make a fool of myself and just get on and do it so it, it's not one particular activity but it's more the mental challenge of trying lots of different things that she challenges me to do so um yeah that that's my uh, my thing and as she grows up I mean I'm sure there'll be something that she'll she'll kind of um freak me out but I figure out if I can do a bungee jump and skydive then I'll pretty much try most things along the way yeah the violin should be straightforward yeah exactly I mean she <laughs> she does want to try and play the ukulele so I figure that's going to be the first thing <laughs> so you essentially delegated your bucket list to your daughter. yeah yeah she's in charge like you know kind of she's probably going to come up with wackier things than me <laughs> brilliant we're coming to the end now it's been such a absolute pleasure to talk to you is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wish that we had or any sort of last thoughts? I'm, I'm handing the stage over to you now. There's nothing that you haven't asked. I mean, it's always, it's nice and also humbling that um, you actually wanted to have this conversation, you know, kind of want to go back to the very start and say, 
you know, people didn't think that I could do stuff and I've proven them wrong. And that feeling of, you know, set your mind to what you want to do and you can do it. And uh, where I can help inspire others to do that and have that self-belief, I absolutely will. So, uh, you know, if I can use this as a platform to inspire others, then absolutely, you know, kind of the, the only person that's going to make it happen is you. Um, and I think I, I learned that pretty quickly that I was in the driving seat. I needed to do it. And, you know, humbly, I'm proud of where I've got to when uh, when people didn't believe in me. So, um, you know, have faith in what you can do. You've been listening to Genuine Humans, brought to you by The Social Element. If you loved what you heard, remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency.